Glad that you are here. If you'll grab your notes, uh, let me welcome all of our campuses in, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, those that live stream us right now and those that will listen later on. And however you're a part of the greater JFC family, uh, welcome and we are glad that you're here. We're in the second week of a, uh, I, I think it's a pretty pivotal series. We're calling it 2028. Last weekend we celebrated our 15th anniversary looking at uh, how fast the first 15 went, what I thought was, what, uh, what, what should the next 15 look like? And then it just dawned on me, what year would it be? And I wrote down 2028. 20, Does that sound weird to anybody else sitting in here? Can I ask this question? I didn't think I would live to see 2028. 20, anybody else think that? That just didn't seem like, it seems so far into the future. I don't know. But 2028 20, will be 15 years from now. It'll represent 30 years of uh, ministry that we'll have had in this church if God uh, gives that to us. I think that he will. Um, and the point was simply that we celebrated the 15th. We looked at the things that we've done over the past 15, but we want to look forward to the next 15 and what's it supposed to be like and what's it supposed to look like. So I, I need to say to you that maybe you're visiting this morning and um, you're like, well, you know, it's just a one-time occurrence. Is there anything in this message for me? I think that you'll find that there are things that stand alone. You don't have to, in other words, go to this church in order to get something out of a message about where the church is going because it is a message that you're going to find spiritual value to even if it were only visit of our church at this time. But if you do go to JFC or you're contemplating making JFC your home, I think it gives us a lot of things to look forward to, a lot of things to talk about, and I think it points us in a pretty firm uh, direction. So I just put down under random thoughts, if you'll find that right there at the top of your notes, uh, here's my belief. I can't say this enough. Please, please hear me. I think we have a great church. This is not me standing up here uh, thinking, ripping on our church, thinking it's not a good church or it's not doing good things or, or something's wrong with it. That's not what I'm trying to say. I think we have a good church. I think we've accomplished a lot of great things. We give fully away 25% of our budget to missions. I don't know many churches that do that right there. We take 10% of everything you give, set it aside to give away, and then we add 15% to it and give away 25% of the money that comes in away to other people, to other churches, to other ministries, to other missions organizations. I think that's a pretty cool thing. We, we've established multiple churches around our campuses. I would say that maybe the most significant thing that's happened in the last 15 years is that people have had life change coming to this church. Watch this. How many of you, your lives have been changed coming to JFC in some form or fashion? Raise your hand up real quick. Look around. Yes or no? That's good fruit right there. When people can say, hey, my life has been changed because of this church, because of what God's done in this church, then you know, hey, that's, that's good. So I'm not knocking our church. Please hear me on that. But then the next sentence I think is equally uh, as important, it's true. We have a great church, but it can be better. Do you believe that? There are things that we can do that can make it better. There are things that we are not doing right now that we need to be doing. And so as pastor, nobody else can say it. Nobody else can get up here and, and set the direction. It's nobody else's responsibility to do that. It's mine to say this is the way we need to go. This is what needs to happen. This is what I hear God saying to me. So that's what this is about right here. Now, I want you to know uh, over the next couple of weeks as we just delve into this, we have intentionally tried to make the message where it is, it is very portable, meaning that you can hear it and there weren't 15 points to try to remember to tell somebody else about the message. There are really two things today when you leave here that I want you to be able to remember. I'll show them to you when we get done right here. Um, but I just think we do have a great church, but it can be better. Our mission statement is what we started to mess with last week in this uh, series. I made the statement uh, 16 years ago. We go to start this church. I was a staff pastor in northern Colorado uh, seeking counsel on what to do to start a church 
how to do it. There, there wasn't a lot of information out there. There wasn't a lot of places to go to. So I began to talk to people that own businesses. I talked to some senior pastors. I talked to a lot of people who had done sort of a, uh, um, what's the best way to say it, entrepreneurial type of a thing. I said, hey, we want to plant a church. What's the best way to go? Almost across the board, the advice I got, have a mission statement, have a vision statement, have a business plan. I get that. It was important. It lets you know what to say yes to. It lets you know what to say no to. It helps you when you go to a bank. You know, you, know, you see what I'm, you know, we know what we're doing, that type of thing. But if I could go back and do it all over again, here's what I would have said would have been more important than any of those things. It would have been asking God on a day-to-day -day basis, what do you want us to do today? Not, not, not just thinking in terms of what's it going to look like in 15 years, but we would have gotten to 15 years no matter what. But I'm not sure that every day we were checking with God. Sometimes, here's the problem, momentum can take off in a direction and it can carry you 100 miles past where you want it to go by the time you realize it. So, so everybody was teaching at the time, get momentum on your side. Momentum's great. When momentum takes over, you don't have to worry about a lot of things, but that's just it. You don't have to worry about a lot of things. And it can take you farther than you want to go real fast. And so we began just looking and asking, okay, so, so we gained a lot of momentum, a lot of things happened. Um, is the vision statement for our church still as accurate today as it was then? Here's what I wrote 15 years ago. It, it was sort of poetic, it was flowery, it's where my head was at at the time. Before there was any people here, I thought, this will be a statement, everybody. So I wrote down, we will strategically plant churches. This is before we were ever even met as a body. We'll strategically plant churches so the maximum number of people can taste the bread of life. Sounded great to me. Nobody else could remember the vision no matter what I said. People would go like it had something to do with bread and being hungry and Jesus. <laughs> that, that was not getting across what I was trying to say. Now, I, it was true. We, we, we were going to plant churches and have done that. And we wanted to make it all about Jesus. And I think that that's been our primary focus and our purpose. But I, I challenged our staff at 15 years. I said, okay, for the next 15 uh, this, this was good up until here, but for the next 15, let's really zero in here. Let's ask God what it should look like. Let's ask him on an everyday basis, are we doing what you want us to do? And I want to begin with, with that right there. So I took my staff, the executive team, I got them all into a room. I said, um, here's, we're not, the, you can't leave until we do this. Let's take the vision statement. I want it boiled down to four words. I want it portable. I want everybody in our church to be able to know what it is, to walk out knowing everything we do has to flow through these four words. So take the whole statement, we'll strategically plant churches so the maximum number of people can taste the bread of life, boil it down to four words, we finally got it, find it right here uh, under our mission statement, read it with me, one, two, three, plant churches, make disciples. Say it one more time, plant churches, make disciples. It's easy, it's portable. Bottom line is every ministry inside of our church has to fit into these categories right here. Now some will go, okay, what about like the Bible studies? As long as it's making disciples, that's great. What about the golf league? If we're making you a better golfer, we may not be doing what we're supposed to be doing. But if you grow deeper in relationship with the people in our church, then it fits inside of making disciples. Do you get it? So, so many things can fit inside of that, but it needs to be aimed at a particular thing. It's got to go at a particular direction. All right, so here's, here's what I would just say today and to bring you a little bit deeper to that. Uh, in my mind, planting churches, making disciples speaks to these two things. Number one, it speaks to evangelism and telling people the good news. Let me just stop. I'll make this quick comment. Any message that a church has today, if it's got the authentic message, even if it's a difficult thing to say, it's still supposed to be good news, yes or no? Yes. The gospel is it's just it's terminology for good news. Jesus came to bring good news. Do you believe that? And any church that preaches bad news isn't preaching the true gospel. It's supposed to be good. Even if you tell somebody you're not going the right direction, but God is merciful and offers to you the path of life. That's good news. 
All right, the second one then becomes where I think our part in the, the issue is. The first one speaks to evangelism and telling people the good news. The second part of the vision, making disciples, reveals what we want to have happen in the process of being a part of this church. We don't want you just to come and hear a message. We don't want you just to come because you like a pastor or because it's convenient, you live nearby. We want you to come because you're growing deeper and becoming more like Jesus when it's all said and done. Try that one more time. Thank you, but it was slow and late. And I'm keyed up and happy this morning. Get with me. Try it one more time. We want you to go to church here so that when it's all said and done, you look more like Jesus. It doesn't matter what your background is, and it doesn't matter what you came from. You could be a novice. You, you could be, you know, I've done this for 50 years, Pastor. I've, I've served God longer than you've even been alive. That may be true, but here's the one thing that unites us all together. Let's be more like Jesus in 15 years. Let's head on that path. Let's walk down that thing. All right, now, now so then you get to the whole thing. What, what does a disciple look like? I take my executive team away again, and we, we get onto that. Here's the problem. We think in our heads we know, but unless we talk about it, we're probably all aiming at different things. So I bring my whole staff together. I said, okay, I want on paper, in your mind, what is a disciple? Believe it or not, for the 12 different pastors I had at that meeting, we had 12 different answers. Now, there were some commonalities. For sure, there were some commonalities. But by and large, the main thing that we were aiming at, they were different things. Were they right or were they wrong? Uh, yes. <laughs> it's the best answer I can give you. They were right and they were wrong. Not wrong in the sense of the Bible didn't say that, but wrong in the sense of if we don't agree on one thing, we got a church that's just scattered. Does that make sense? Just go in different directions. Well, that's not, God commands his blessing in unity. Let me say it one more time. God commands his blessing in unity. How many of you want God's blessing on your life? If you don't raise your hand, you don't get it. How many of you want God's blessing? Yes, I thought. That's what I thought. So we want to be in unity. All right, scripturally, scripturally, can I prove that our, our, our little mission statement, our vision statement lines up scripturally? Matthew 28, 18 through 19. If you're a believer, it's probably familiar scripture. It reads this way. This is Jesus speaking. Um, <clears throat> Matthew recorded it. Jesus came and spoke to them saying... To the disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This sentence, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's called terminology, it's the Great Commission. Christ commissioned his followers to do that thing. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, that, that is fairly simple language. Do you agree? Yes. Let me ask you a question. How easy is that? You don't, let me go this way. All right, our job is to make disciples. What's Jesus' job? Well, we find that in this scripture right here, Matthew 16, 18. This is Christ also. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus said, I will. Okay, guys, when I stop and ask you, open your mouth, words come out, we all do this together. Jesus said, I will. So his job is to build the church. Our job is to make disciples. Do you see that from Scripture? Yep. He builds the church. We make disciples. I want to tell you the truth. I have made a mistake and spent more time building a church than making disciples. Why? Because it's easier to build a church. It's easier to figure out how to take down a piece of land. It's easier to figure out how to raise money for chairs. It's easier to, to, to bring people. It's easier to do a big group thing than it is to try to worry about the individual thing. And here, let me prove it to you right here. How many of you know how difficult it is to make somebody do something that they don't want to do? How many of you are married? 
and crack a smile, it may kill you, but come on. Just listen, come on. Some of you look like if you did smile, it would kill you. Listen to me. You look like I shot you right now. What's wrong with, come on. If, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How do you, it's always a partnership, isn't it? You can't get married and go, uh, this is the way it's going to be. You get married with the idea that we're in partnership and both people have to choose at the same time to go in the same direction. Here's how the book of Joel says it. Can two walk together unless they're in agreement to do so? And that's exactly what it means to make disciples. Two people cannot go in a direction and see anything happen unless there's agreement. This is what we're trying to see happen. It's easier to build a church, a building, a physical thing, than it is to get a hold of a person and watch change happen in their lives. Did you get that? And yet the very thing we're called to, you make disciples and I'll build my church. I would say probably in America today, maybe in the Western Christianity that we all are familiar with, that most pastors spend their time building churches and thinking that somehow God magically makes disciples. And that's not how it takes place. If I had to shift the emphasis then for the next 15 years, I would say the emphasis should be more about growing in depth and in community and in relationship with each other as opposed to trying to just plant more and more campuses. Now, if the outflow of the relationship is more campuses, so be it. That's Jesus building the church. But if our message is just let's go build campuses while not focusing on this, it's us building the church, leaving the discipleship up to Jesus. It's backwards. Does that make any sense? If you want to do it God's way, it makes sense. So I put down then, why is it important? In my opinion, why is it important to enter into community and to become a disciple? So why push this as, you know, if it's a watermark message, if it's the 15-year message, if it's where you want to set a precedent for where you're going the next 15 years, you want it to be about community and discipleship? If I finished up 15 years from now and could say the church was much deeper than it was wider, I will have felt successful in what I did. If you look more like Christ when it's said and done, then I did a good job. Now, it's a debatable issue. Boil it down to one thing. What does a disciple of Jesus look like? Well, I can give you, I can give you one word for it. It is a lot of things, but one word is this. We love each other. They'll know you're my disciples by... Come on, folks, you got a better pastor than this. I know you do. <laughs> They'll know you're my disciples by your, by your love. 1 Corinthians 13 says you can go do everything you want to do. Build great ministries, feed the poor, give yourself to be sacrificed. But if you don't love, it's worth Love is supposed to be the thing that binds it all together. The mark of a disciple is love. It's marked by other things, but it comes out of love. When you love someone, you sacrifice. Married people? Parents? Friends? When you love someone, you sacrifice. When you love someone, you give. When you love someone, you prefer them above yourself. When you love someone, it's not about you, it's about them. So the mark of immaturity would be the exact opposite. It's about me. How many of you have raised children? Did you ever have this happen? Your two-year-old comes in and goes, I've been thinking about this, Dad. I'm living a really selfish life. <laughs> Everything I do is about me, and I'm sick of it. 
I want to change it right now. I want everything I do to be about this family, about you and mom. I want to switch the whole thing around right now. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, it, it wouldn't happen. Why not? Because child's immature. Child makes everything about them. Yes or no? Yes. So the Bible compares us. I'll show you just a second that when we first come to Christ, we're babes. We're immature because it's all about us. And my question to you, at what point does a church transition from it being about what I like and what I want, what makes me happy and where I'm comfortable, to what are we supposed to be doing? And then ultimately, what pleases God above everything else? There's a, there's a, a marked identification of a disciple growing. It goes from me to we to he. Me, we, we. He. What is that? It's an Indian word. <laughs> I was in Phoenix for my vacation. They had a golf course there called We Co Pa. I thought me, we, he sounded just like that right there. Okay, <laughs> let's keep moving on. All right, why is it important to enter into community and to become a disciple? Okay, the first one is what I just said is the maturing process. You don't mature without community. You don't mature unless you're becoming a disciple. You will stay a baby. All right, is it a heaven and hell issue? Absolutely not. You don't go to heaven based on whether or not you matured. You go to heaven based on the work of Jesus. Say it one more time. You don't go to heaven based on what you do. You go to heaven based on what Jesus did. All right, but then Jesus in John 10, 10 said, I promise you to have life and not just any life, but abundant life. So here's my question to you. Is he talking about then and there or here and now? He's talking about here and now. All right, so why, why do so many believers not enjoy an abundant life? And can I say, I think in my mind, it's because they make everything about them. No one's happy when you live your life for you. You think it makes you happy, and it doesn't. You become an incredible consumer where it hits the law of diminishing returns. If you live for yourself, it takes more and more and more to get you back to that same level. So you're being a consumer. You're on this earth. Whether you say it or not, your life proves you're on this earth to consume. Quiet. How about this? Your neighbor is on this earth to consume. Those people coming at 11 o'clock, they're a consumer service. It's 9 o'clock service, maturity all across the board. You sacrificed, you got up early this morning. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verse 11, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to a group of not necessarily brand new believers, but um, young, in process. Not arrived, not at the beginning, in process. Here's his advice. It was he, speaking of Christ, who gave some of you to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. Let me stop. Those are five main ministry gifts God gives to everybody. Not body, 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 body. If you listen to the <laughs> CD, how much did that just mess you up right there? Not body, body, but body, body. So, no, so he doesn't give the five just to a person. He gives the five to a church, to a body. All right, now here's why he gives the five. Listen to this. God, he gives them to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity 
in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we become, what's the word? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be... Then we will no longer be... Okay, so here he's saying, stop and comment. I, I realize it's long, you get lost in it. He's saying he gives five main ministries to a body to teach them how to do service. Here's what we have today. People come today to watch pastors do things. We've turned it into an entertainment-based issue. How well can someone teach? How happy can they make me? Does it give me the spiritual thrill that I need? And now I'm off and I go live my life in a separate way. And it was never, it's all supposed to be one thing flowing out of Christ. If it doesn't infect your business life, it may not be the real thing. If it doesn't take over your marriage, you may not have what Jesus talked about. If it doesn't last past the doors of these church when you drive in the traffic on I-25, you may be born again, but you can be very immature. And here the Bible's telling us we're supposed to be going from infants to a place of maturity aimed at we're supposed to be looking like Jesus. And God gives five-fold ministry in order to help people mature to do acts of service so that we begin to look like Jesus. Now let me finish this because this gets really interesting. And in fact, I'll make a comment here. See if you can agree with this. All right. So that we may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, look at this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. Now look at this. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part does its work. Have you ever gone to that church yet? Be honest with me. Have you ever seen that church yet? Every part, every person is doing everything they can to build up the other person so that it all supports the one thing, and we're all growing in love and looking like Christ. Have you ever gone to that church? Theoretically, I'm not sure that it exists on the earth yet, but that's what it's supposed to look like. Now, I wonder how many preachers have stood up millions before me and said to their flock, this is what it's supposed to look like. So I don't fool myself. I think I'm the first one that's got some revelation like this. I think every pastor that's worth his weight in soul probably wants this for his church. So let me ask this. How many people want that for your lives? It's like if you don't raise your hand, what are you doing here? I'm serious. Oh, you entertain me. There's the problem. That's it. There it is. We don't want to entertain you. Come and be taught so that you serve, building everybody else up so that it looks like Jesus. What a church that would be. What a church that would be. So how about this? Why not here and why not now? Why not Lone Tree? Why not Lakewood? Why not Castle Rock? Why not Highlands Ranch? Why not 2013? Why not September 1st? Why not right here? Why not right now? Why don't we say yes? Here's what I would like for you. Journey with me on this. I don't have all the answers. I don't have enough knowledge to know how to get there fully. But I know this. If we follow after God, the result will be we'll become more like Jesus and we'll love each other like this. And even if we don't get it fully in this lifetime, if we become more like that in the next 15 years, we went on the right path. Amen. Amen.
So I, I asked him to bring a whiteboard up so I could maybe, maybe I could explain it uh, this way. So, so for a bleep, put the camera on this so everybody can see it. So I, I think the lowest way that a believer lives life is when they are me-focused. So the Bible describes it here, when we first come into the kingdom, we're infants, and I just gave you that great example. No infant ever comes to the parent and goes, hey, you know, I get it. I'm making it all about me. It needs to be about a bigger issue. No infant ever does that because the, 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 the filter never goes on in the brain until they mature, does it? So what year does that filter finally go on? 30? 30? <laughs> I, I actually would have thrown out a number around there. So it's not 12, I can tell you that. And it sure as heck ain't 15. So, uh, Samuel Clemens, who said, when they turn 12, put them in a barrel and seal it up. And then when they, no, when they turn 12, put them in a barrel. And when they turn 21, seal up the barrel. That's, that's the way to, yeah. The, the idea simply is, I, I don't know when it, it, it comes on whenever a person finally gets, it, I'm not here just for me. There's a bigger issue to life here. And I, I will tell you the truth. So if you sit there and you live your life, everything I say to you aggravates you right now. Why? Because it's all about you. And I'm poking at you. It aggravates you. Because I'm calling you selfish. Because I'm telling you that there's more to life, that a believer's not supposed to live his life that way. If you're a baby and you just came into it, I get it. Okay, you don't know any better. But at what level? How many years? Then to go to level two which is about we. Now, we's better than me. Because me speaks of only what I want, what I'm comfortable with, and what I like. And if you say that, I don't like that. Here, Paul teaches, we're supposed to be saying the truth in love to each other. Yes? yes? Yep. So my pastor says this, the only people that can't be offended are dead people. <laughs> and here's what he meant by it. He didn't mean those laying in a graveyard. Everything that we do is this. We are supposed to die to Christ. Our flesh is supposed to be crucified. We are supposed to grow up, not living by our emotions only. And what I need to make me happy, what do you need? If you could ever hit that level, let me tell you, life really gets fun when you finally get past you. And you'll never know until you do it. You'll just think I'm a jerk. You will. Just a jerk pastor, doesn't get it. Why are you laughing like that? <laughs> All right, now, we's not bad because it takes you from here to here, and you begin to realize, hey, there's a group of people who are trying to do more. So maybe it's a church thing. We're, we're feeding people. We're trying to, we get, we get Jesus' prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as a group of people, we begin to look at this earth and we say to ourselves, okay, is there hunger in heaven? Is there hunger in Denver? We got a job to do. Is there suffering in heaven? Is there suffering in Denver? We got a job to do. Is there, is there cancer in heaven? Is there cancer here? We got a job to do. So when you live here, you never ask that question about the bigger picture of what's this earth supposed to look like. You 
have everything in your life being about you. You consume, consume, consume. And I challenge you, that's not how you're supposed to be living your life. And as your pastor, I don't want you to feel good about that. God gives you free choice, but you will answer for the choices you make. So we go to the next level, which is we begin to think in terms of the bigger picture. That's great. But then let me give you the highest level of living your life is he. It's not even about what we want. It's certainly not about what I want. Now it becomes about what pleases God the most. How do I wake up this morning and how am I most pleasing to him? Now someone's going to go, well, I'm just here. I'm pleasing to him. You're back at me. You are pleasing to him in the fact that you're his creation. He's highly favored you. But when you get it in your head that I want to bless you, let me ask you, you're a father. What does it do for you when your kid wants to bless you? Grabs your heart, huh? Makes you want to give them everything you have too, doesn't it? Isn't it a funny symbiotic relationship that when a kid only wants it for themselves, we're reluctant to give it. But when they get it, we give everything away. How many things in prayer are just me asked, where if we got he asked, we'd get it all. That's why seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> Let me write it here. I'll put it this way. So if, if you live down here at this level, me, it would look like this. Your theology just simply is, I'm good. Your enemy at this level is anybody who tries to get their name over you. Anybody who wanted to consume what you have. Anybody who asked you to give more than you give. So you move to the list level, and your motto would be, we're good. So your enemy here is another group that competes against you. Well, that's silly. No church is our competition. You know our competition this morning? Chatfield. And I like Chatfield. Harley Davidson, our competition this morning. There's one in my garage. But he lives at his proper place. There's no shrine, no candles around him. I don't go down and bow down to the Harley. Harley is in his proper place. And in fact, when I felt like he got out of his place, I've auctioned him off here and given all the money to missions twice. Because things can become all about me. That's why, look, nothing's wrong with stuff as long as you have stuff and stuff doesn't have you. Does that make sense? But we live in an area where stuff has people. I heard another pastor say it this way. We live in a very high income area, but very little wealth. So if we lived in Texas, it would be said this way, big hat, no cows. All right. (laughs) How about that, Marcus Pillar? It's for my Dallas connection right up here. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, so if you live down here, your motto is, I'm good. If you live here, we're good. If you live here, God and God alone is good. So who's your enemy at this level? It's not other people trying to get their name over yours. It's not other groups that you compete with. At this level, there's only one enemy in life. Who's your enemy? 
Say it. The devil, Satan, you bet. What would life be lived like if we actually fought the right enemy in our marriage? If we actually fought the right enemy in our work? If we actually fought the right enemy in this world? How much time is wasted fighting the wrong enemy? How skillful is an enemy who can get you to fight about things that really aren't the issue while he stands to the side and it destroys people? Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Boy, at this level, I this is... Where are you in space and time? Just be honest with me, uh, rhetorically. You do not need to raise your hand. I, I'm not asking you to confess. Where, I'm, think right now. Process with me. You're at church. This, you're already here. Even if you're never coming back, you're already here right now. So just, where are you in space and time? Is it about you? So have you matured past that? So I like my church. It's a group. I'm into that. Or is there something in you that, here's what Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, God put eternity in the hearts of all mankind. So that when eternal things are spoken of, if you're born again, it calls to some, it resonates with something inside of you. If you sit there this morning and you're like, I don't care about any of those things, are you born again? Do you know Christ? So if you don't, then I'll tell you right where you are. Your whole world is this issue because there's nothing else. You exist by accident. You exist without any purpose. There was a cosmic belch five billion years ago, and that's why you're here. But if you get this, God shot you into existence. He determined ahead of time the color of your eyes, what your personality would be like, the people you'd be living with, and your life contains something this generation needs or you're not here breathing air. If I could get that message into the hearts of this group of people. Young people. Your generation's called the most selfish generation. I would challenge you. It's not because I think that by nature you're selfish. I think that you live in a world and at a time and at a place where we have made it all about us, and you've looked at it and said, if that's what the future is, why should I follow you? Churches have made it about that. We make it about how to make our people comfortable, how to make our people happy, never asking, what do we do to please God today? What's most pleasing to God in our worship? What's most pleasing to God in how we do what we do? Where should we spend our money that's pleasing to God? If the example we've given to our young people is just consume, consume, no wonder they don't care. The statistic today is they're dropping like flies out of the church. Maybe we're not showing them any reason to be here. And unless we give them a reason beyond living for yourself, they'll be gone. We're always one generation away from extinction. You know that, right? You know that, right? And for the sake of your children, become passionate for Jesus. For the sake of your grandchildren, give it all away to the cross. I did not mean for this message to go this way, but I don't apologize for preaching it right now. Um, let me wipe, wrap this thing up, and I'll, I'll just be done with it. Um, the maturing process is absolutely key. It's the key issue in why it's important to enter into community and become a disciple. Let me give you the second thing. This one is, 
And for all intents and purposes sake, it does begin to speak about things that God wants to do for us that are pleasing to us. But listen to this. The reason you want to enter into community and become a disciple, you'll find the discovery and the recovery of God's promises only in community. Now, I'm going to prove this to you. Listen to this. God's promises are found in community. All right, 16 years ago, God gives me a dream. Leave your church. I'm going to take you to a place. He gives me a picture. I'm going to take you. It's a beautiful place. It's a place if you can trust me, I'm going to take you down this path. And when it's said and done, you will be pleased, but you've got to follow me. You're not going directly to it. You're going to have to walk by faith to get there. Here's the thought. I came here to start a church. What if I had four buildings like we have right now? And in none of the buildings were any people. I did it all by myself. I went out and located four buildings. I raised the money all by myself. And I went to every building this morning and I preached to myself. How good would the promises of God be? They would stink, wouldn't they? It was in the ability to do it with people that the promises of God became a reality in my life. Now I'm going to say to you, that's true. I went back on every promise God ever gave me. Every promise he ever gave me was always in the context of fulfilling it in community with people. He never, ever expected any promises to be just about, okay, some people come and say, God told me he was going to bless me financially because I'm going to do great things for the kingdom of God. That involves people. Unless you're going to print money at your house by yourself. (laughs) But then if you even do that, you got to give it away. You still got to be involved with people. True? So God's promised some of you a marriage. That involves people. I don't say that. Oh no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh no, you just don't know. I yes, my next one will be thirty years. I do know. Second Corinthians one twenty. To the Corinthian church, no matter how many promises God has made, I love this. No matter how many promises God has made, they are what yes. in Christ, and so through Him the Amen is spoken to us by us to the glory of God. Okay, here's my thought. How do you see the promises of God actually happening in your life? And I would say that most people, they probably don't think in terms of how it, here's what they think. God will sprinkle fairy dust on me and I'll have the promise. Or he'll come along cosmically and bonk me on the head with a wand and I'll have the promise of God. Or I come and I listen to a message and when I leave here, I open my trunk and there's my promise. No, that's, that's not, that, be, be smart, be wise. No promise is given that way. God God partners with you in a promise. God wants a harvest in this earth, so he partners or labors with those who go into the harvest. If we sit back and don't do anything, let me ask you, is God going to come to the earth and reap the harvest? He already sent Jesus to do that. Jesus gave us instructions, what you've seen me do, go and do. Anybody? Anybody? So I think we think often, if God, if God wants to give me a promise, he knows where I'm sitting. <laughs> Let him come get me. This would be the easiest way for me. Maybe we should, wouldn't you love if we just turned all of these into like lazy boys? You could just sit back the whole time while I'm, <laughs> preach away, go pastor, hang on. Oh, can you add that massager thing on? Oh, that's perfect. Uh, Oh, go, go. I can, I can take the message better now. 
Here's what I would say to you. How do you see any promise in your life happening? Do you think it's go to church, hear the pastor, and when I leave it's in my trunk? Nope. How about this? Hear your pastor and then in community, walk out or become what God said to become. God bless you. Conclusion. Listen to me. It's a two-party system. It's never a one-party system. You will never fulfill the promises of God in your life by just walking by yourself and making it about you. It's going to be done in here with people. Or if you're not called here, then get with the people you're called to. and You're going to have to do it there, but you will not do it by yourself. So I'm not being ugly and I'm not being mean. Encouragement. How many of us pray, God, encourage me? How do you think God encourages you? With other people. When the church gets its rightful place, building everybody up in love, how many people should be encouraged? Everyone. How do you think God helps you overcome struggles? He sends people. How do you think needs are met? He sends people. Does it make sense? So here's how we think. Well, I wish God would send me people. Go be the people. Well, let me try over here. Go be the people. How about this? You want that church that I just read? The one that's grown up and that loves each other and supports each other? Let me say this to you. If you leave here to go find that church, the minute you get to it, you'll ruin it. <laughs> How do you know that? Because if you go looking for it, you're consuming. Become it. Live it now. Make this church that. So how would I do that? Look around. Open your eyes. Pray this prayer. Send me to anybody who needs to be encouraged. And then don't be mad when you get somebody who's having a bad day. <laughs> yes or no? It's like the old cliche. You know, don't pray for patience. God will send you into a trial. How many of you think that God is like hogtied by, oh, they didn't pray for patience, I can't do anything. <laughs> How many of you think God goes, watch me get around this? He, just pray. Watch what God will do. Ask him to use you. Tell him you're available. And then when it happens, step into the moment. Embrace the opportunity. Move beyond me. Go past we. Make it about he. Can you take that home? Yes. Me, we, he. You got it. God, I bless this people. I bless the work of your hands, and I bless what's true in this message. God, if anything I did takes away from it, if my personality overshadows Christ, if anything I did, Father God, uh, would cause you, Father, to say, John, uh, you missed it there. God, I hide myself behind Christ this morning. I want it to look like Jesus. I want it to be about Jesus. And that's the reason I'm serving this group of people this morning. God, we all want to walk till we become like the fullness, the measure of the Son of God. Father, we recognize we're in process. Paul goes, not that I have achieved or arrived or finally gotten there, but I press on to get there. God, help every one of us this morning to take the next step in becoming more like Jesus. Speak to us. Any available soul in this church who says to the Holy Spirit, you can use me, 
I fully expect that the Father will hear that prayer. And even today, this week, you will find opportunities to be Jesus. And once you begin to step into it, here's what, here's what Jesus said. Don't worry about what you'll say or what you'll do in that very hour. Just do it. And the Holy Spirit will direct you. He will give you the words. He will give you the power. He will give you the prayer. We pray, God, show up like you did in the first century church. If there's no need for him to do that, why answer that prayer? But if the people of God actually took the Lord's Prayer seriously on earth as it is in heaven, and we began to look at the people around us in that light, where we wanted to love, where we actually cared enough to love, I believe all the power you would need to minister to people would be found in that moment in time. And whatever else you need, all the things would be added unto you. Seek his kingdom first. God, we're all in the same boat. Nobody in this room has arrived. Nobody in this room is there yet. Nobody in this room is, is all put together. We're all in the same boat. We need a savior. We needed him the day we met you, and we've needed him every day since then. Help us today to grow more like Christ. Help us today to get our eyes off of ourselves. Help us today to see what you see. And to think like you think. Church, here's my concluding thought. Look at me real quickly. You can't afford to have a thought in your head that God doesn't have in his. It'll cost you too much. Don't live your life that way any longer. You cannot afford to have a thought in your head that God doesn't have in his. It will cost you too much. That's a long aim, but it's possible. Not by flesh, not by might, not by power, by God's spirit. So maybe when you engage with God right now, here's your prayer. God, fill me with your spirit. I can't do any of these things. And if I do try to go out of here and do them, I'll only do it in the flesh. And the flesh counts for it's the spirit that matters. Fill me with your spirit. Let me be married with your spirit. Let me raise my children with your spirit. Let me love people with your spirit. Stand to your feet if you will and let's engage the Lord for a few minutes.